I was invited to talk about ASEAN and the resolution of the South China Sea disputes, and I changed the title because I wasn't sure that ASEAN had a role in the resolution of the dispute, so it would have been a very short presentation. Uh, <clears throat> let's see how we... Okay. I'll just have a quick word for some of you who may not be as familiar with ASEAN. ASEAN uh, consists of the five original members of Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, uh, Thailand, and Singapore. It then absorbed the Brunei first, and then the three Indonesia are the Indochina states of Cambodia, Vietnam, and Laos, and then last Myanmar. Uh, so it borders uh, the, the Gulf of Thailand is actually not considered part of the South China Sea. So we have Myanmar that actually borders the Andaman Sea to the west, is not a bordering state, and we have Laos which is landlocked, and Thailand is in Cambodia or in the Gulf of Thailand. So when we talk about the ASEAN states that border the South China Sea, it is the Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, uh, uh, Indonesia. History of ASEAN, there we are. At, uh, ASEAN Charter was then established in 2007. The success as I see ASEAN is maintain peace among the member states. That was the main purpose for uh, establishing it in 1967. You had states with vitally divergent backgrounds in colonial histories and they have done an excellent job at maintaining peace. They successfully absorbed the three Indochina states and Myanmar into the organization, and they've maintained a balance of power between the superpowers by never quite satisfying what the U.S. wants or what China wants, but trying to walk the line in between. Actions on the South China Sea began in 1992 in the Philippines with the Declaration on the South China Sea. Most people ignore that. It has a lot of the same things in it that the Code of Conduct or the Declaration on the Conduct of Parties has of 2002. That one, of course, is between China and the South China Sea member states. Last year, we had some progress with the Joint Statement on the application of the Qs or the Code for Unmanned Encounters at Sea, that's with navies facing navies or meeting navies on the high seas. And 2017, August, the foreign ministers of ASEAN and China endorsed the framework for code of conduct. Code of conduct's a little bit of the holy grail that they've been searching for. Once we get that code, everything will be resolved. Some of us are a little more skeptical on that. Few things on the 202 Declaration. State the China and ASEAN countries agreed to resolve their territorial and jurisdictional disputes by peaceful means without resorting to threat or use of force through friendly consultations, negotiations, and again, also including Law of the Sea Convention, which would mean Part 15 on dispute settlement reaffirm their respect for and commitment of freedom of navigation in and over flight above the South China Sea, again as a reference to UNCLOS. 
they're in red, it's because everybody seems to have not paid much attention to the language in red. To exercise self-restraint in the conduct of activities that would complicate or escalate the disputes and affect peace and stability. I think that one's been honored in the breach. Uh, and refrain from action of inhabiting and presently uninhabited islands, reefs, shoals, caves, and other features. That is again the that arguably all the parties have complied with. Scarborough Shoal is an interesting case because I would argue that China has taken control of Scarborough Shoal, but it has not occupied it. Now if it starts to do a reclamation and occupy it, then it would be in clear breach of the one provision of the declaration that all the states have complied with today. And of course, what we have in the last two paragraphs are the idea of confidence building measures. <coughs> I've been involved in these track two meetings since the early 90s. Sometimes we joke that we're actually talking about conference building measures. And we, first thing we do is say, where do we want to meet next time for the next conference? Uh, but uh, ideas to build trust and deal with the trust deficit, and then the issue is to explore ways to undertake cooperative activities. And that, in effect, is, I sense is what's going on in the code of conduct as well. What are the prospects for a code? May reach an agreement, but it's not likely to address the underlying sovereignty disputes, sovereignty disputes over who owns the islands or the disputes on maritime claims. I don't think you can resolve that in a code of conduct. Militarization of the occupied features is probably not going to be covered in the, con in the code. Issues making it difficult, the geographic scope, even the 202 declaration does not say where it applies because some countries who are represented in the region say it should apply in the paracels, and others would say no, and then we have a difficulty. Legally binding, it's only the non-lawyers that have this great idea that if it's legally binding, all the problems will be resolved. <laughs> lawyers know better. If it's legally binding, it probably won't say anything, right? Uh, and if it's binding, it may not have a dispute settlement clause. But if it is even binding and has a dispute settlement clause, doesn't mean states will not, maybe won't show up when there's a dispute settlement is invoked. So the idea of having it legally binding somehow means all the problems will be resolved. As I, as a lawyer, I say that's total misunderstanding. Uh, and. Will it be maintaining the status quo on the occupied features? What will it say about the occupied features? Those are the difficult issues. And my sense is they won't reach agreement on that for a foreseeable future. What's it likely to include? This is a guess, because I'm not affiliated with any government. Somebody described me as an American expert. I'm not an American anymore. I've been a Singaporean about nine or 10 years. But I'm certainly not briefed on what the negotiations are, uh, how they're progressing, if they're progressing. But my sense, it'll repeat much of the same thing that's already in the declaration. No threat or use of force. Perhaps it'll say, let's maintain the status quo, at least for the time being, on the occupied features. 
a framework to minimize risks of incidents at sea for vessels other than Navy vessels, because cues has very limited impact in reality, because navies are usually not meeting navies on this in the South China Sea, unless it's China monitoring a U.S. phone apps operation or whatever. It's otherwise it's Coast Guard vessels. And China's changing the game on Coast Guard a little bit because China's Coast Guard vessels are larger than other countries' naval vessels. So, but there's no mechanisms, the people I understand, there's no mechanisms for the Navy vessel of one country to communicate with the Coast Guard vessel of another country. The navies communicate only with navies, right? The Coast Guard vessel goes through Ministry of Transport, you've got to make calls. So there's a risk of an incident when one, a Navy vessel of one country does encounter a Coast Guard vessel of another country. And I think Singapore has proposed that queues be expanded or at least some, something modeled on queues be developed to govern Coast Guard vessels meeting Coast Guard. Uh, in incidents at sea, I'll show you maps later, when you see how many islands are occupied and how close they are, and you're in coral reef areas, they got to be using the same channels in and out, so there is a real risk of an incident at sea, somebody uh, losing a little bit of control and doing something and then things get out of hand. A framework to encourage cooperation in areas of common interest, that's I think what everybody would agree we need. We need to to try to close the trust deficit a little bit, and one way you can do that is through cooperation. And the point I always emphasize, which the politicians sometimes forget, is any cooperative measures have got to be made without prejudice to the underlying sovereignty disputes, but in these days also to the underlying maritime disputes, because the sovereignty disputes are only over who owns those features which are islands. The maritime disputes relate to the competing issues of who has what rights to resources, etc. And I think when we're talking sometimes about cooperation, it has to be clearly without prejudice. Now, promoting cooperation, the old mantra, I shouldn't say the old mantra, is the late paramount leader of China, Deng Xiaoping, was set aside the sovereignty disputes and jointly develop the resources. <coughs> The legal basis for provisional arrangements is Article 74 and 83 of the Convention on Delimitation Provisions on Continental on Economic Zone and Continental Shelf. But it is, they apply in areas of overlapping EZ claims. And under the decision of the tribunal, there are no overlapping EZ claims anymore. Difficulty? Uh, and Philippines and China are currently in negotiations, nevertheless, for a some kind of, perhaps it's maybe not going to be labeled a joint development arrangement. We don't have to call it that. It could be an economic cooperation arrangement. The word joint development suggests that the Philippines will be acknowledging China has a right, an OEZ claim in Reed Bank, for example, I assume that's what they're dealing with, but Reed Bank is the area where the geologists tell the Philippines there's more likely to be gas deposits. But if it's joint development, 
there's problems within the Philippines Constitution, perhaps, and problems with people like Judge Carpio writing articles in books complaining that the sovereign rights of the Philippines are being sold out by the president. Uh, so there's a difficulty. Now there's where we are. This is the major area. Now this is our, our center did a, bought a lot of high resolution photographs of the South China Sea Islands. And we've done a look at what, the, what criteria the tribunal set out as to when you determine something's an island or a rock entitled at least to a territorial sea. Because under the judgment, there isn't any economic zone from any of these features. The econ economic zone now is only measured from the coastlines of the countries. But those in dark green are clearly islands. Those in the light green are probably islands. Those in orange may be islands. Now notice, they're all off the coast of the Philippines, a few off the coast of Malaysia. You look at the next map, you see who are the major winners? The major winner in the South China Sea case, although the, technically the decision's only binding on Philippines and China, is Vietnam. Because the overlapping claim areas are all the 12-mile territorial sea around the rocks, and that's all in the economic zones of Philippines and partly Malaysia. There's only one over here within the 200-mile economic zone of, the of Vietnam. So Vietnam's position, I can guarantee you, is that the tribunal's decision that China is entitled to no historic rights in the economic zone may be legally binding only on China and the Philippines, but it's going to be the position of Vietnam. And it's going to be the position of, I'm careful what I say here because the ambassador is present, of Indonesia. Because down here, Indonesia is not a claimant state, and they'll always point that out to you. But Indonesia, the Natuna Islands down here, are not in dispute. There, no one challenges Indonesia's sovereignty to those islands. And they have continental shelf agreements with Malaysia here, with Vietnam here, and with Malaysia over here. But that only governs oil and gas, the continental shelf. Indonesia claims an economic zone that extends beyond the continental shelf agreements. They're still negotiating with both Vietnam and Malaysia. And, but you see this nine-dash line here intersects so that there is an overlap between the continental shelf and economic zone claims of Indonesia and the nine-dash line map of China. And therefore, it's Indonesia's very clear position in diplomatic notes for Bao that they do not recognize any claim based on the nine-dash line map. So they're a party to the dispute in the sense of the dispute over resources. And the number one priority seems to be now to defend their resources because they have, they lose a few billion dollars a year on illegal, unregulated, unreported fishing in their economic zone. Now, legal basis 123, I just got a notice I'm going to go. Key is, it has to be without prejudice. Any cooperation's got a, 10 minutes? Five minutes, okay. Without prejudice. Without prejudice definitely means this. It implies we don't recognize legitimacy of the other guy's claim. <laughs> I got 10 minutes before the updates come. Postpone, postpone. 
Uh, and we don't give up or change our claim. Any, any cooperation has to be, otherwise the other side's gonna come back, well you cooperate on here, therefore you have admitted that we have a rightful claim here. So any, even discussions about cooperation should be without prejudice to the maritime claims and the sovereignty claims. Low-hanging fruits, one. I have to go, go through these very quickly. Land-based marine pollution, plastics. We look at Sky News and look at all the other. Most of the plastics in South China Sea come from four countries, Indonesia, China, Vietnam, and Thailand. If you control plastics getting into the oceans, it doesn't raise any sovereignty or sensitive issues. You're dealing with your land territory, your <coughs> ships. It's a place where they could start, and China could be a good neighbor by helping the less developed countries. Pollution from ships, number two. It's your ships you're dealing with, vessels flying your flag. So countries in the South China Sea do not have the capacity or training to deal with ship source pollution. China does. Could be more assistance under One Belt, One Road. Cooperation on fisheries, more complicated. You want to sustainably manage, you have to cover the deal with the fish stocks. You have to ratify the 95 fish stocks agreement. Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand are now parties. China's not, and Vietnam's not. Uh, next, enforcement on fisheries. I won't, I'm going to go, because I want to show you some map. Here's the, here's the boldest proposal. There's where the sea lane, there's where the shipping traffic. We bought. They paid a thousand dollars or so to get a one month's traffic of ships. The South China Sea, you notice, it's dangerous ground on the map. There no, there's no vessels going through there. Main shipping goes through the South China, through the Malacca Strait up there, and then through the three, two, three sea lanes of Indonesia. Nothing's going into the disputed island area. Here's my proposal. Let's make this the starting point for the marine park, I call it a zone of cooperation. In that zone, it's about 60 nautical miles this way, about, let's see, 115 nautical miles this way. In that zone, there's 18 or 19 occupied islands, or features. They may not be islands, they're low tide elevations that are occupied. China has about Three, Philippines occupies about five, Vietnam about eight, plus Ituaba, all in this area. Sometimes on the same reef, you've got five islands occupied by different forces of different countries. It's a disaster waiting to happen for incidents at sea, okay? Yeah, even though, and this one also includes Tizard Bank, which would include Ituaba. So the, the proposal I make is, let's create this zone Prohibit fishing vessels. Everybody controls their own fishing vessels. Nobody goes in. Commercial vessels cannot go in. Military and supply ships, yes, you can go in to supply them where you occupy. Vessels of non-claimants, we, we ask to stay away. All claimants agree not to enter waters within 12 nautical miles of another claimant, or maybe it has to be six sometimes. And you can cooperate with joint marine scientific research. Your baseline study on the, on the science can be based on the area within that zone. You can prohibit fishing as uh, proposed by Judge Carpio. You could expand the zone later if you want, but it would be a good start. Thanks a lot. <laughs>